Good evening, everyone. Praise the Lord for the rain he gave us today. Uh, For our song service, we're going to start with number 89. We'll sing all three verses of number 89. Next number, please turn to 264. My heart was glad to hear the welcome sound. We will sing one, two, and four of 264.
next number is number 320, Safely Through Another Week. We'll sing all four of 320. Final number, please turn to 324. God himself is with us. Let us now adore him. We'll sing all three verses of 324.
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is the Lord who through Christ and the atonement he has won calls us into his presence. Let us ask then for his blessing on the time that we spend together. Let's pray. Father, you have called us and we are yours. You have urged us to enter into your holy presence. We pray now that all that we do in your presence might be done by your power and unto your glory. And we pray that when we go forth from this place later, we might do so having recognized that we were in your presence, having been refreshed and having given you the glory you deserve. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. Hear now His greeting. To you who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved through Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Amen. Let's sing praise together to him from number 151 of our Trinity Psalter hymnal. 151, we'll sing stanzas 1 through 4 and 6.
Beloved, we join our lips and our hearts with the saints of all places and all ages in confessing our faith, using the words of the Apostles' Creed congregation, In whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our psalm reading this evening is Psalm 123, one of the relatively short psalms of ascent, but a beautiful psalm. It's a confession of absolute trust and reliance on the Lord as the one who is merciful and cares for his servant, as the one who is compassionate, unlike the world. This is spoken by God's servant as he is surrounded by those who taunt and those who scorn. This is the song of Christ, who though he was mocked and belittled and doubted and slandered, he looked to his heavenly Father. He put his hope in him and trusted that he would provide, that he would sustain. And therefore, this is our song. Because as long as we serve the Lord, we will be scorned and mocked and slandered. But it is the Lord who sustains us. As long as we're identified, young people hear this, as long as we are identified by the world, as long as we care about what men think of us, we will struggle. But when we find our identity and our hope and our help in the Lord doesn't matter what men say, we can stand firm. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. And you know, he promises the day of the proud will soon end. But our light will shine bright, especially on that day. 
So let's take up that psalm with confidence in the Lord in whom we trust. Number 265 in our Psalter hymnal, 265, all the stanzas. As we come to the Lord in prayer, a couple things in addition to what we noted this morning, certainly we should give thanks for the rain. God is very good to us. Um, In our announcement bulletin, we noted uh, the needs of the church plant in Ventura, California, where Reverend Adam Kolostian is the minister. Um, We should be praying for that work and others like it. we noted this last week, but they're actually here this evening. Daniel and, and Jacqueline Stewart uh, were recently married. We need to keep our newlyweds in prayer. And um, on a less happy note, we noted over the week, we sent out a, a prayer concern um, that there's some pending legislation in Michigan that would, uh, well, it demands our prayers. Uh, if this legislation passes, which it has passed the House, it's now before the Senate. The governor has already expressed her intent to approve it. It would broadly expand what is defined as hate speech to include things like critical race theory and transgenderism and homosexuality and abortion and all that fun stuff. Basically, an alleged victim's perception of having been intimidated would be the standard of whether an offense has been committed, regardless of what the intent of the speaker was, which means that speaking against abortion, relating the biblical teaching concerning sexuality, could render one in the eyes of the law a felon, due up to five years in prison and a $10,000 fine. And even if criminal charges are not brought, It opens the door to a civil case so that the purveyors of woke views could seek to bankrupt those who speak from a biblical worldview. This is wickedness. It's the world seeking to silence the truth 
which offends their conscience. So we need to pray that God would prevail upon our elected officials, our uh, magistrates, to recognize that they are instruments of God's and that they are to uphold what he says is right, not what the world says. We need to pray that they would recognize that they will answer to him. And we need to pray that God would strengthen his church to do what is right regardless of the consequences. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, you are indeed the one in whom not only do we trust, but we know to be trustworthy. We have needed rain for our crops, and you have sent rain. And that's a beautiful reminder of how persistently and frequently and perfectly you meet the needs of your people. We cannot even count the times that you meet our needs even before we perceive them. That you answer our prayers in ways that are far more perfect than that for which we asked. Time and time and time again on every side we see the evidence of your perfect fatherly care and we thank you. Lord, we see all around us evidence of a growing ungodliness in our society in which our fellow countrymen, our neighbors, our families are fearing man rather than you, are giving way to ungodly views, some because because they hate you and they hate all that stands and points them to you and because they want to determine what is right and wrong, what is true and false and others because they simply fear men more than they fear you. But regardless of the motivation, it grieves us, Lord, because we know it dishonors you and because because we know it makes it hard for men to heed your word. But we also know that no one will heed that word apart from your spirit and your will. So we pray that you would strengthen and bless your people. That you would cause them to stand firmly upon your word. Speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth boldly. Living according to your word humbly, but with a boldness that determines to follow you regardless of the earthly consequence. Father, we pray that you would work in the hearts of our legislators and of our governor, reminding them powerfully that they were put in office by your hand with the calling to serve you by upholding what is just, by punishing what is evil, by acknowledging what is true. And if they will not bow the knee to you, Lord, we pray that you would replace them with those who would. Lord, we pray, especially with this pending legislation, that you would cause its defeat and its downfall. And especially, that you would allow this to be a wake-up call. 
that people throughout our state might see the consequences of relying on man to define what is right and wrong, what is true and false, and that they might see the ugliness and the emptiness of fearing man rather than fearing the living God. But regardless the outcome of this legislation, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen, encourage, and equip your church to do what is right in your eyes. Teach us to speak the truth boldly yet in love, in a way that would reveal the misery that comes with embracing sin and the joy and the freedom that come in confessing our sin and trusting in Christ. And Father, grant that they might see the difference that Christ makes as you work to transform our lives and to fill us with joy and peace regardless of our circumstance. Indeed, Lord, we have felt, many of us, we have felt the scorn and the mockery of men as rumors have been spread as scorn and slander has been spoken at various times because because we're yours. Lord, teach us to delight in you, to find our identity in you, to look unto you and not to men like a humble servant looks to his master, awaiting orders, accepting whatever you ordain. Father, we pray that you would continue to strengthen your church here at Grace and in every place where it's gathered. We think of of the brothers and sisters in Ventura, California, and the the labors of Brother Colostian. We pray that you would sustain them as they labor in a, a region that is far more secular even than where we live. And where many are militant in their unbelief, but where at the same time many are desperate for the truth, desperate for that which is unmoving, desperate for the hope and the joy that comes only from the gospel. Lord, make make these brothers and sisters to be tireless in proclaiming and living out the truth, in discipling those whom you bring to them, and loving those whom you set in their midst. And Lord, multiply their tribe. Make make the church to be passionate about planting new congregations of Christ in communities where you have been at work to prepare the hearts of many to hear the truth, to turn from their unbelief and to gain entrance into the kingdom. Father, we thank you for the multitude of ways in which you have blessed your people. We think this evening of Daniel and Jacqueline and how you blessed them with a new marriage. We pray that you would bless them in that, that you would strengthen and encourage them, and that you would cause them to live many years together, delighting in you and reflecting your love to a watching world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless all of the marriages in our midst, that you would cause them to reflect the selfless love of Christ and the selfless devotion of the church for Christ. Lord, we pray that you would make us to be different, 
that you would teach us not to treasure up offense unto bitterness, but would teach us to work for reconciliation, that you would make us not to be focused on our possessions and our reputations, but focused instead on your glory and the building of your kingdom, that you would cause us to delight not in the things of here and now or in our reputation among men, but to delight in your love and to long for the coming of the fullness of the kingdom with the return of Christ. To that end, Lord, teach us to rest in Christ, daily turning aside from our sin, daily seeking your power to repent and to live a life of holiness, of service, of love, of joy. Lord, help us to build one another up, that when one weeps, the others would weep with them, That when one celebrates, we all would celebrate together. So that it might be evident that we are united by more than family ties or shared history. But that we are united by the Spirit who dwells within us and the, the blood of Christ which has cleansed us and the love of the Father who has claimed us. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word tonight as we consider the rest that you give us on the Sabbath and the rest that you give us as Christians throughout life. Grant that we might apply that Sabbath rest powerfully. Lord, be with us in this week that looms ahead. There's so many uh, needs, so much hurt, And yet, so much hope. And all of that hope is found in you, in your word, in your blessings, in your provision. Help us to remember that. Enable us, empower us to minister to one another in the midst of the glorious hope of the gospel that you've given us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we prepare to look together to the fourth commandment, Let's stand and sing together. We're going to sing Psalm 92, Selection A from our Trinity Psalter hymnal. 92, Selection A. Interestingly, um, children, a little piece of trivia. Psalm 92 is a psalm for the Sabbath. And so it seems particularly appropriate as we prepare to look at the fourth commandment. So we'll sing all the stanzas of 92A.
Well, as I said this evening, we look to the fourth commandment, Lord's Day 38, in our catechism. But first, I'd like to read with you from Isaiah chapter 58. Now, Isaiah starts out a book, uh, Confrontation. First 36 chapters really confront God's people in their sin, in their rebellion, call them to repent, uh, warn them of impending judgment. Then there's a little transition section. And then, and then God comforts his people. He comforts them. He reminds them, though they will be sent, sent into exile because of their rebellion and their sin, yet God is with them. God will restore them. But even in that section of comfort, there's a reminder. We're delivered by God's grace. We're brought into His favor by what He does, not by what we do. But that doesn't mean we aren't called to act. We're called to live a life of gratitude. We're called to embrace that reconciliation which He has given us. And that's really a big part of the focus of Psalm 58, or of Isaiah 58. The prophet writes there, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, 
from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Lord's Day 38 brings us to that fourth commandment. Keep the Sabbath day holy. And it asks, what is God's will for us, for you, on the fourth, or in the fourth commandment? And the answer it gives is twofold. First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that especially on this festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. And second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through His Spirit, and so begin in this life, the eternal Sabbath. Amen. Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, there never seems to be in churches that take serious God's Word a shortage of discussion and debate concerning the Sabbath. Some say, It's part of the Old Testament system that has now passed away. Others believe that it is binding and should be enforced by church and by state alike. Some believe the Sabbath is a burden that simply must be borne. Others pay the Sabbath no attention at all. I have to confess that for the first 17 and a half years of my life, that last option is the one that was the default in my life. I never really thought about the Sabbath till I went away to college. And then I felt absolutely assaulted by the fourth commandment. See, I went to Geneva College, which is a Reformed Presbyterian school, and Reformed Presbyterians tend to take the fourth commandment rather seriously. For those unaccustomed to such a view, Geneva's rules seemed a bit harsh. We weren't allowed to play sports on Sunday, even a pickup game of Frisbee. We weren't allowed to do laundry. Well, we couldn't do laundry because the laundry room was locked. We couldn't study in the library because the library was locked. And we couldn't do this or we couldn't do that or we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't. It sounded oppressive to me. Now, they didn't intend, to be very clear, they did not intend the rules to be oppressive. But the simple fact is that for those unfamiliar with the Sabbath command, for those unfamiliar with actually honoring the Lord's Day, the focus naturally turns to prohibitions, the things that I once did but now am not allowed to do. And quite honestly, the Sabbath always feels oppressive when you consider it in terms of what can I not do. But the Sabbath isn't meant to be oppressive. Jesus himself said in Mark 2 verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. And if the Sabbath is oppressive to you, then you have become its servant and you've misunderstood something about the Sabbath command. But when we understand the Sabbath aright, 
when we understand what God intends for us on this day, and when we understand what God intends for us to develop through this day, it's not oppressive. It's a delight. It's a privilege. It's a joy. And it should be a joy. And so that's what we're going to consider this evening, how our gracious God, who doesn't just know the struggles we have, but who knows the weights that burden our heart, who knows the rush of our day-to-day-to-day life, who knows how excluded and alone we often feel, who understands how oppressive life in this fallen world can be, our gracious God. He's given us this Sabbath day to rejoice and to refresh us. Our gracious God calls us to embrace the joy of the Sabbath. And that involves the one day in which we are called to the service of worship, but it also involves every day as we're called to the worship of our service. So we look first at how we're called to embrace one day for the service of worship. But before we can see that one day, we have to understand what the Sabbath was meant to be from the start. Because God intended it to be a symbol. A symbol of remembrance and a symbol of promise. A symbol looking back and a symbol looking forward. About once a month we read the law from Deuteronomy 5. And in Deuteronomy 5 verse 15, we're told, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In calling them to celebrate the Sabbath day, God was calling Israel to remember what happened in the past. You were slaves. You had no rights, you had no relief, you had no rest, and I brought you out from there. You didn't do it. As we go through Exodus, we're going to see how powerless Israel was and how mighty God demonstrated himself to be in bringing them out. He wants them to remember this was all of him, and he's doing the same for us. You were slaves, slaves to your sin, slaves to the fear of death, slaves to the fear of man. And I brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I gave you freedom. I gave you rest. The Sabbath is to be a symbol of that rest that we have experienced, that deliverance that we have been given. But it also looks forward. In Exodus 31, not Exodus, yes, Exodus 31, uh, verses 16 and 17. God says through Moses, therefore... The people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. A covenant is something that looks forward. It's something that has a demand but also a promise. The demand of the Sabbath is simple. You shall rest. But that command to rest 
is intimately entwined with the promise. Remember how God did all his work on the first six days and then he rested. Now what is the essential promise of the covenant God made with Israel, the covenant he made with us? I will be your God and you will be my people. And that means more than I will forgive your sins or I will give you the promise of heaven. It means I will give you rest. Even as he rested at the end of his beautiful creative work, so he promises to give us rest from our sin, from our sorrow, from our grief, from our hardship, from our toil. He gives us rest. And so the Sabbath is a symbol not only of the deliverance we have received, but of the even greater deliverance, the even greater rest that we shall receive. And so the focus of the Sabbath is not to be what we cannot do, what is prohibited to us. In fact, in the law of God, there's no list of all these things you shall not do. We saw probably the closest thing to that in Isaiah 58. And there it just gives a few really vague examples of how they're misusing the Sabbath. But the focus is never on what you shall not. The focus is look at what God has done. Remember what God has promised. You see, God doesn't want this symbol of His grace to be a burden. He wants it to be a joy. But if that's to happen, then we need to take care of how we think about the Sabbath. Kids, I want you to think of of it this way. And parents... It's helpful for us to think of it this way too. Kids, if I told you, you know what, tomorrow morning, no television, no computer, no games. Matter of fact, tomorrow, no bicycle, even if it doesn't rain. No playing outside. No talking on the phone with your friends. You wouldn't look forward to tomorrow very much, would you? That seems like a bummer. I mean, everything I like to do, I'm not allowed to do, really? But now what if instead of that, I said, hey, tomorrow, we're going to get up early, and you're not going to play on the computer or play your games or watch TV or anything, because we're going to go to a fair. And we're going to ride every one of those rides on the midway. Some of them we're going to ride twice. We're going to get some treats from the vendors. We're going to have fun. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure some of your friends are there. And after that, After that, we're going to go out and uh, we're going to go swimming with some of your friends. And once you're tired of that, you know, maybe late afternoon, then we're going to go get pizza. But save room because we're getting ice cream after that. Of course, you won't be able to ride your bike. You won't be able to play any games or anything. But so what? Now you're going to think differently about tomorrow, aren't you? Because instead of emphasizing all the things you couldn't, now we're emphasizing all the things you will. Well, that makes a big difference. When we focus on all the things we can't, well, then that's exactly the things we want. But when we look at all the things that are promised, all those things we could, we don't want. And that's abundantly true with the Lord's Day. We can choose to emphasize the prohibitions. And I made that mistake when my kids were young. No, you can't go for a bike ride today. It's the Lord's Day. No, you can't play video games today. It's the Lord's Day. No, you can't. No, no. Do you think they looked forward to it? 
Or we can choose to think about the blessings and the privileges and the joys that God has given us in this day of rest. This day in which we get to gather with God's people to worship. This day in which we get to sing His praises. This day in which we get to celebrate with all of the people of God the goodness and the glory and the grace that has been poured out on us and the glory that is yet to come. Yes, there are prohibitions. There are things that we can't or at least shouldn't do on the Lord's Day. But those aren't meant to be a burden. They're meant to clear our day so that we can focus on the good. See, the prohibitions of the Sabbath are always meant to serve our worship. When God says don't buy and sell on the Lord's Day, it's because we do that every other day. And He doesn't want us focused on who has the sale prices on meat today or Uh, what birthday gifts do I need to buy? He wants us to focus on singing praise to the Lord. When he tells us not to work on the Sabbath day, that's because our work in this fallen world is filled with frustrations and struggles. And he wants us to spend ourselves on joy. Celebrating the good that God has poured out upon us. Testifying to one another. Look at how God has answered our prayers. Look at how God has sustained us. When he tells us not to make others work on the Lord's day. It's because he wants them to share the same joy that we enjoy. Yeah, maybe they'll still be working whether we go to the restaurant or not. But let us not be the excuse that they have not to join with the saints and rejoice in what Christ has done. For each thing we shouldn't on the Lord's Day, there are multiple privileges and blessings. And we need to keep that in mind. Because when we do, then rather than the Sabbath seeming like a burden, it leads us to praise God for the gift He's given. So it's with that attitude that we need to approach Isaiah 58. God promises blessing on His people if... If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Now, there's plenty of prohibition in that verse. But remember the reason for the thou shalt not. You shall not do your pleasure. Because God has given us as a gift this weekly symbol of his grace to enjoy. And he wants to remind us, he wants to really impress upon us the completeness of our deliverance in Christ, the abundance of our blessing through the Holy Spirit. You shall not go your way or do your pleasure or talk idly because God wants us to remember this day is special. You can do that stuff any other day. But this day is about him. This day is about your identity in him. So we lay aside all else and we set our hearts on God, delighting in what He has done, delighting in what He has promised, coming before Him who made us with all of those whom He has redeemed. Think on the joy of that, brothers and sisters. Think on the privilege that is ours. And when we do that, when we set aside our stuff, and we focus on Him, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. As we delight in his Sabbath, as we focus on him in our worship, as we celebrate with the saints all that he has promised, we will delight. Matter of fact, we won't be able to wait until we get to the Lord's Day. It won't be a burden that, oh, we got to go back again this evening. No, we won't be able to wait. We'll be so eager. Saturday night, we'll be hurrying to get everything done so that we don't have to be distracted by all that. So that we don't have to rush home from church so that we can enjoy the company of our brothers and our sisters celebrating with them the the glory of Christ. But it starts with putting the focus on Him. 
reminding our hearts what it is that he's given us. Answer 103 in our catechism talks about that festive day of rest. It says we're to diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Do you get how great a privilege that is? Notice what's not included there. Can I play video games? Can I mow the grass? Can I have friends over? Not in there. Because it's not really about us. It's about him. The the holy God who made us and who redeems us. He wants us to gather so we can hear from him. So we can hear what he has done. So we can hear how faithful he is. So we can hear how he will uphold us every moment. He wants us to gather in his presence so we can be encouraged listening to the, the praise and the prayers of the saints. He wants us to gather in his presence talk to him and spend time with him and show him our trust through our tithes and our offerings what a blessing that is what a joy that should be that is why we gather and yet so often we're tempted to trade all of that for lists what must I do what may I not folks those lists are far too limited Far better that we ask. What use of this day would increase God's glory? What use of this day will deepen my relationship with Him? In what, day can, in what way can I use this day to help my children or my parents to better know the Lord? What can I do on this day to make it different from all the others and to commemorate what Christ has done for me? What can I do on this day that will help me appreciate all that Christ has done and that will allow me to respond with joy to all that Christ has done? And if you do that, if you put that focus on the Lord rather than on you, on His glory, His works, His promises, rather than on our momentary trinkets and our passing desires. I promise you it will be a joy, it will be a blessing, and it will be a foretaste of something infinitely better. Because our catechism reminds us that while not every day is the Sabbath, only one out of every seven is the Sabbath, yet the fourth commandment applies to every single day. Because God's will for us in this fourth commandment is also that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. I let the Lord work in me through His Spirit, and so I begin already in this life, His eternal Sabbath. God is calling us to to enjoy the blessing of the Sabbath, to embrace the joy of the Sabbath, not just on this one day out of every seven but every day in the worship of our service. Because when we do that, it prepares us for our Lord's Day worship, but it also applies that Sabbath rest of the first day to every day of life. It is this everyday call of the Sabbath 
which comes to us in the bulk of Isaiah 58. In our passage, God warns through Isaiah that it's not enough to go through the motions of worship. That's what Israel was doing. They were singing the words, but they weren't thinking about them. They weren't meaning them. They were bringing in their tithes, but in order to earn something with God. They were professing their faith, but it didn't match the profession of their lives. And so Isaiah was called to rebuke this people because they were worshiping in an empty way. They professed holiness, but their lives were filled with defilement. They professed to know and love God, but their, their lives showed their words were a lie. And yet Israel seemed confused. You know, I go to worship every week, I bring my tithes, and yet he doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. And Isaiah said, well, what about the other six days? Sure, you gather on the Sabbath day, but the other days are filled with quarreling and strife. The hands that bring offerings on the Sabbath are filled the other six days with violence and fighting. The mouths that confess the Lord today are filled with lies, with slander. The hands that you raise in worship are raised in unholy oppression against your servants during the week. Beloved, men who do that for six days cannot expect God to hear their prayer on the seventh. See, God doesn't want our worship and our devotion only on the Lord's day while we live like unbelievers the other six. He wants our hearts, our hands, our lives, all of us, all the time, 24-7. So that's what Isaiah told them starting in verse 6. Do you want God to smile upon your worship, your fasting, your Sabbath prayers? Then he says, when you see injustice, strive to make it right for the oppressed. And when you find those who are hungry, fill them with food from your own table. And when you see a woman whose clothes are in rags, raid your own closet for her. And when you see a man weeping, his heart filled with grief, don't say, not my problem. No, go embrace him and weep with him. In other words, God calls us to serve those who are in need. And sometimes that's not very pleasant. It makes a wreck out of our schedule. It takes our time. It breaks our hearts. It covers us with the defilement that litters them. We get lumped in with them. Ah, look at him. He spends time with sinners. (sighs) So what? So did Jesus. And if he didn't, not one of us would be here. God reached out to pull us up out of the mud knowing that he would be be spattered himself. God reached out to us and spoke words of grace and life even as we cursed him. And though we smelled and we swore and we were utterly disgusting, nonetheless he bathed us, he dressed us, he fed us, and he embraced us as our heavenly father. And now he says, go and imitate that. And it's not only about meeting the needs of the poor and the broken that he sets before us. It's about reflecting him in our lives. It's about staying out of the mud from which he pulled us. It's about wearing the holy garments with which Christ has clothed us, obeying the lessons that he's taught us in love. See, part of our Sabbath worship, our daily Sabbath worship, is reaching out to those who are like we were to those whom God sets before us that we might minister to them in the name of Christ. But part of it 
is reflecting Christ to them as we turn away from the sins that once defiled us, as we reject the ugliness of the worldliness that once defined us. See, that daily commitment to live for Christ in the way we serve others, in the way we reflect Him to others, that is in very truth a Sabbath worship that applies to all of life. And that points us to eternity. See, that's part of what the Sabbath is meant to do. Kids, young people, understand that. When we rest from our labor on the Lord's Day, that points to how we soon will completely rest from our sin. Not to say that work is sin, and not to say that in the new heavens and the new earth there won't be work. There will. Although then, our work will be a joy, not a burden. And it will not be tinged with the sin and the brokenness of our work now. Never again will there be another struggle not to say the things you shouldn't say when a bolt breaks. Never again will there be a job that we complete knowing that pretty soon it's going to break again. It won't. It'd be amazing. But as we rest from our labors... It points to how very soon we will rest completely and eternally from all our sin. Can you imagine? No desire to do what is wrong. No desire to speak bitterly or to repeat a rumor. We won't even hear rumors. No desire to get even. No desire to embrace the thing God has commanded us to reject. That's coming. I can't wait. The older we get, I think the more we long for that day when we don't even desire to do what is wrong. But he gives us the Sabbath to increase that longing, to increase that desire for the day that comes when our Initial impulse will always be to do the right thing, to do the thing that reflects Christ, to do the thing that honors God. Won't that be amazing? And we get a foretaste of it right now on the Sabbath day. And we're to take that foretaste that we get on Sunday and we're to take it into the rest of life. We're to pray on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning, Lord, make me desire to do what is right. Make me desire to say what is right. Make me to be a peacemaker. Make me to be a bridge builder. Make me to be a a shower of mercy. One who forgives rather than getting even. One who thinks well of others rather than thinking ill of them. One who dwells on the good and the pleasant and the upright rather than on the ugly and the dirty and the filthy. And rest assured, brothers and sisters, when we worship the Lord daily by such service, He blesses us through that. He says through Isaiah that when we do that, verse 8, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. And again in verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Understand, he's not saying, if you do X, I will do Y. It's a, you know, 
something you're earning. It's not saying that. But he's saying that as we embrace this Christ-likeness in our service to others, as we embrace this Christ-likeness in our repentance, we're going to learn to delight in life because we're going to see God so much more clearly working in us, transforming us, making us new. And we're going to rely on him so much more completely and so much more continually. And as a result, we'll see his work in our lives. It'll be amazing. And more than that, verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You know what that means? It means that the church of which we are a part, and I'm not just pointing to grace, all churches, but this congregation too, we have brokenness. Individually, we have brokenness from the sins that we've committed, from the faults and the failures that have inhered in us, from our family life which has been dysfunctional, every one of us. But also as a church, we look back in our history, we see the hurts, we see the divisions, we see the unresolved disputes. But as we apply individually, And collectively, as we apply the Sabbath to our lives, as we take that word that we heard on the Lord's Day and we apply it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as we take those prayers and the communion that they encouraged and we recognize that communion throughout the week, as we recall Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the communion we felt with one another as we sang praises to the Lord, Not only will we not continue in those sins of the past, spreading gossip, engaging in a party spirit, being divisive toward one another, seeking to get... No, we won't do that. And instead, we'll seek to repair what has been broken down. You see, we always have that choice. We can continue to break down the walls of Jerusalem... Or we can stand with Nehemiah and repair the breaches and rebuild the gates. And as we apply the Sabbath to our lives, that's what we'll be doing. Not by physically building walls. But by spending time with the people we don't normally spend time with because maybe they said something that offended us five years ago. Inviting into our homes the people that are... A little harder to get to know. So we'll go out and get to know them. Just like the Lord welcomed us in when we were hard to get to know. Or maybe having that hard conversation. I'm not talking the hard conversation where you point out all the faults and flaws of the other. But where you say, can you come over because I need to confess some things to you. And I need to ask for your forgiveness. Even though they offended you. No, forget that. I need your forgiveness. And when we do that hard thing, we'll build up the walls of Jerusalem. We'll strengthen the church of Christ. And we will glorify God through our everyday Sabbath life. And how much more will we delight to gather with those saints to whom we have been reconciled, with whom we have prayed to God, 
among whom we have sung his praises and heard his word. You see, it builds. The Sabbath day leads us to a Sabbath life that prepares us for the Sabbath day all the more. And all of it points us toward that Sabbath day that will never, ever, ever end. But it starts right here, right now. With desiring and praying for and embracing the joy of the Sabbath. May it be our prayer that God would cause us to delight in the joy, in the blessing of the Sabbath that is ours in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so often so tempted to make lists, to draw the lines, to look disapprovingly at those who draw the lines differently. But we need the joy of focusing not on what we shall not and what we may not and what we cannot, but the joy of remembering what has been done, how we have been blessed, what you have promised and accomplished and will bring to pass very soon. So Lord, help us to embrace the Sabbath day with our eyes upon you, celebrating with joy all that you have done and all that you are doing. And Lord, we pray that by the Spirit and His power, You would transform our lives into Sabbath lives, teaching us to serve You in our repentance, teaching us to serve You in serving those before us, teaching us to embrace the Sabbath in all of its promise, in all of its power, all of life. And so, Lord, Cause us to delight in you, in your goodness, in your grace, in your rest. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank him for that day of rest and of gladness that he has given us as we stand and sing number 321 in your blue Psalter hymnal, number 321.
Our offering this evening is for the uh, Grace URC Building Fund. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this place in which to worship, this place where your church can gather. We pray that you would bless the offering we take for its maintenance and upbuilding. We pray that you would receive it as a token of our thanks and that you would continue to bless our time spent together in this place to build up your church and to strengthen her. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Our offering song this evening is number 229. Number 229. Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.